following podcast will contain foul language and spoilers, and if we're lucky, sex, violence, nudity, and triggers. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Everett Book Club. We are a twice-monthly book review and discussion podcast specializing in old or out-of-print science fiction and fantasy. My name is Ruiz Tremello, and I'm a grave robber by day and a grave robber by night, but mostly at night. And my name is Marguerite, and I'm a feline phrenologist. Together we travel the world administering Turing tests, and today we are in New Constantinople, Bolivia. Where a mysterious but handsome stranger has despoiled several historic graveyards, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to discuss confusion. That's the overriding theme of this week's episode. Mm, It's usually the theme of each episode. And today's story, which is Babel 2 by Damon Knight is brought to us out of the worlds of science fiction. Edited and with an introduction by Robert P. Mills. Marguerite, would you be so kind as to describe the cover for our listeners? Sure, we've got that classic yellow. Beautiful, beautiful yellow. So yellow. So yellow. Um, And then we've got a uh, spaceman in his spacesuit, and he's pointing towards... uh, I'm going to say portal just because it's just a circle on the page with yellow around it and then you can see through it and there is a hallway and then some kind of uh, tentacled almost beetle-like creature looking inquisitively i interpret it inquisitively through the hole and the spaceman is pointing his gun in it but see it doesn't look menacing it's just kind of like whoa what's going on although six foot tall beetles are menacing some would say that, I guess. <laughs> I would say that, I guess. Really? But you love bugs. I love bugs. I don't love six-foot-tall bugs. <laughs> Especially ones that are in outer space. I mean, that bug doesn't need a spacesuit, and he does. Well, that's Beetle. He's fine. <laughs> so today's story is Babel 2. Before we get started with the first sentence, Marguerite, have you ever heard of the Happy Hooligan? No, is it a book? No, it's a character from the early 1900s uh, comic series in newspapers. This is him here. Okay, so he's just a very old school cartoony dude with a tiny yeah. head. He looks like a hobo. Yeah, exactly. He's like a caricature of a hobo. as He's got a tin can for a hat and an old kind of chomped on cigar and mm-hmm. knee patches and Check. elbow patches. Check shirt and tiny head. The happy hooligan is important. For a reason, which you'll see in a second. Uh, Also, have you ever heard of George Arliss? Mm, It sounds familiar, but... It's this guy. He's apparently an old British actor. Oh, 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 my God. He's got a little pin-sized mustache. What do you call those little tiny thin mustaches? Oh, yeah, I don't even know what those are called. Yeah, those little, like, John Waters mustache. And... And monocle. A monocle. And, like, if you look through Google, though, like, most of the pictures, he's got the monocle. Brilliant. So he just like, he rocked that monocle day in and day out. Now, the reason we're bringing up such super old uh, pop culture references that no one, (laughs) including us, has ever heard of before Uh is because of the first sentence of the book. Okay. Now, a little bit of background. Babel 2 takes place in the 1950s New York. Okay, you keep saying Babel, isn't it? Babel? Babel 2. 
Okay. Babel we'll go with the way two. you want to say it. <laughs> Is there a right answer to that question? I don't know. Uh, so this takes place in 1950s New York. It was written in 1953, and it's basically present day being 1953. So we don't have internet. We don't have computers. We do have radios, and we do have record players. Mm-hmm. That's about the level of technology. So the uh, very first paragraph from Babel 2. From the front, he looked a little like Happy Hooligan, if you remember that far back. Oh, okay. From the side, where you got a better view of that silver-white crest, he looked more like a cross between George Arliss and a cockatoo. I don't... How How is he both of those things? The Happy Hooligan is really goofy looking, and then... The George Arliss, Arliss. George Arliss, is sort of like a character of a distinguished man. <laughs> yeah, we got two pop culture references that are extremely dated in the first two sentences. And also completely opposite. And our next paragraph goes on to describe an alien. Okay, let's do this. He is uh, four feet tall with purple-gray skin and glittery clothes, and he's holding a silvery disc about a foot across. Our protagonist, Lloyd Cavanaugh, uh, is at home in his Manhattan apartment at 11 a.m. on a Wednesday morning. Oh, fancy. Oh, yeah, that's working uh, business hours. <laughs> when suddenly the alien appears to step out of the three-inch crack between the wall and his kitchen window curtains. Okay. Due to the alien's appearance as the happy hooligan, the alien from this point on is referenced as the hooligan. Oh, okay. So that's that's its name. Okay, so that makes... that. Sort of makes sense reference-wise. Mm-hmm. And our main protagonist, Lloyd Cavanaugh, meanwhile, is described as a bad-tempered young man with a long, morose face. Ugh. He shouts, what the hell, when he sees the alien, and immediately runs across the room to grab his camera. Oh, okay. That's a good response, I think. So that he could hide his camera behind an armchair, because it's oh. the most expensive thing he owns, and he doesn't want it to get broken. <laughs> okay. That's the exact opposite of what I was thinking. I was <laughs> thinking in more contemporary terms, I guess, where it's like, take a picture. <laughs> you know, uh, common sense terms. Because <laughs> um, aliens want to steal cameras. The hooligan shouts some gibberish at him, and Lloyd grabs a poker from the fireplace to use as a weapon. But the hooligan holds up the silver disc... And an image appears showing Lloyd putting together his camera, as in constructing it from scratch. So it's, he's got a little TV in a disc. Mm-hmm. And apparently his, the alien's thoughts can project into shapes. And Lloyd lowers the fireplace poker and asks how the image was able to appear on the disc. And the alien points first at his own head, then at Lloyd's head. So that's not creepy. So we get a bit of an info dump to start after that uh, introduction. We learn that our main character, Lloyd, is a comic book artist, but his real joy is miniature photography. In his What's miniature photography? You'll find out. Is it out. Photo- photographing uh, small objects? Or does he use a tiny camera? <laughs> oh, no, he's got a regular camera. In his apartment, there's a large drawing table littered with carefully designed miniatures, ranging from trees to crumbling buildings to human-like figures. Ooh, fun. Uh, Lloyd takes pictures of the miniatures using a special and very expensive lens. And the the alien is interested in the models. Hmm, that's really cool. So the hooligan concentrates and forms a display on the silver disc. What looks like a purple pair with warts. When Lloyd is confused by the sight, it shows him a mass of translucent pink threads. (laughs) Because that makes more sense. (laughs) And when Lloyd is confused again, a diamond appears on the screen. 
But suddenly, when Lloyd looks interested, the hooligan starts pointing between the picture of the diamond and the models on the table. And then, as if pulling it from thin air, the hooligan unceremoniously gives Lloyd a diamond that he judges to be around 100 carats. Oh my god. (laughs) The disc starts to show some new images. First, Lloyd meticulously setting up his models, then taking pictures with his expensive camera lens, then uh, developing the photos in the darkroom, and then trading both the photos and the models for more diamonds. So the alien is like, hey, I've got a business model for you. (laughs) Lloyd agrees to the deal. And they go through the steps. First he sets up the models, takes pictures, then goes to the darkroom and makes prints, and the alien is babbling gibberish at his side the whole while. And finally, once the photos are complete, Lloyd digs into his back catalog and pulls out some older prints. The hooligan buys them all trading pictures for diamonds and slipping the pictures into thin air, into nowhere. So he's pulling the uh, diamonds out of nowhere and taking the pictures and putting them into nowhere. Hmm. Ooh, I want one of those. Once he's out of pictures, the alien wanders through Lloyd's apartment, inspecting his belongings. Oh my god. It's a little intrusive. (laughs) It uh, picks up a statue from his bookshelf and, using the disc, asks if Lloyd made the statue. He says no and takes a look at it, uh, sees that it says made in the Philippines, and then thinks at the disc to project an image of where on earth the Philippines are. So the alien is just going on a shopping trip. Exactly. Cool. You called it. Because the hooligan then points at a rug hanging on Lloyd's wall and asks if Lloyd made that as well. (laughs) He says that he didn't and tries to trade the rug for more diamonds, but the hooligan looks disturbed and upset. Oh, so he only wants original works from uh, individuals. Boom! He's discerning. You're getting this one uh, pretty good so far. Using images on the disc, it states that it wants to trade diamonds for the rug, but only specifically to the person responsible for making the rug. Mm -hmm. Lloyd says that the rug was made in Mexico. And then the hooligan proceeds to finish going around his apartment finding more objects and asking for the origination point for some shoes, some kitchen trinkets, and random knickknacks. Oh, so probably China and small children. <laughs> Lloyd obligingly displays onto the disc where the objects are made in places such as India, Sweden, Malaysia, and a shoe store in Manhattan called Janigans. And Lloyd decides finally that if he can't get any more diamonds out of the creature, at least he could get some information. Hmm. Using the disc, he asks where the alien's from and is shown a bizarre planet full of hooligans and what looks like giant towers of fungus. Lloyd tries pinning down a location based on the stars, which is pretty smart, I think. Oh, yeah, actually, that's pretty good. But the creature shows a different display, the Earth and stars inside of a solid-looking circle and then the hooligan itself inside of a fuzzy purple circle. The two circles revolve around each other, then briefly touch, and the hooligan leaps from one circle to the other. Ooh, different dimensions. You called it. Oh my god, he's, when they touch, I'm going shopping. (laughs) Unfortunately, Lloyd has no idea what he's being shown and is too discouraged to ask any more follow-up questions. The hooligan waits for more questions, then bows deeply when he doesn't get any more questions, and gives Lloyd another diamond larger than any of the others he's yet received. When Lloyd asks why he's being given that diamond, he's shown for friendship. Oh, I like this alien. So Lloyd gets a bottle of wine and two glasses, which is potentially risky. Yeah, don't get aliens drunk. 
The hooligan enjoys the wine very much and smiles widely, finishing the glass to produce an object a few inches wide with a green base of crystal on which rests a metal box with a small antenna. <laughs> Using images, the hooligan explains that the device is his race's version of alcohol and asks permission to activate it. Oh no. <laughs> Lloyd agrees, and when the hooligan turns it on, Lloyd feels like his brain is being tickled. Oh, fun. He describes it uh, through the narrative as both invigorating and delightful, but the effect only lasts for a few minutes. Oh. Pleased with the exchange, the hooligan thanks Lloyd and runs out the door and down the stairs. It's not through the window this time. Uh, Lloyd looks out the window and watches the hooligan leap on top of a passing bus. <laughs> so, after waiting for the effects of the device to wear off, Lloyd counts his diamonds, 27 in all, ranging from between 30 to over 100 carats. Wow, that, uh, you know what? He mm. got overpaid, I think. I'm just going to guess. I can't, I don't know what his little sculptures look like. But... <laughs> uh, yeah, although you don't get to shop around different dimensions very often. True. And maybe diamonds are worthless to him. That's what I was sort of thinking. Like, maybe diamonds are, like, change, like well, coins. Yeah, like, or if we went to a different dimension and we paid for things using, like, rocks. <laughs> Here, have around. some gravel. <laughs> So Lloyd decides that because he's not actually a jeweler and all of these carrot estimates are uh, based off the top of his head, he decides to go get them all appraised. That's what I would do. And also make sure they're real. Oh, yeah. So he takes two and heads out the door to a local jeweler. Hopping into a cab, however, Lloyd gives directions and the driver replies with angry gibberish. Oh, no. Confused, Lloyd tries again, but the driver only speaks gibberish, and he's getting angrier at him. So, Lloyd gets out of the cab and decides to start walking to the jeweler, only to be accosted by a boy selling newspaper. And the boy is also shouting gibberish. And the front page of the newspaper, why, it's gibberish too. Oh no, <laughs> this is why you don't drink Foreign alcohol. <laughs> Alien alcohol. Alien weird device alcohol. Yeah. Tickling your brain. Brain ticklers. Lloyd buys one of the papers to inspect it and finds every page to be literally just gibberish. And then a random man runs up to Lloyd, shouts gibberish in his face, and runs away in a panic. Why is everyone freaking out at him? Just because he doesn't speak English. <gasps> oh no. Lloyd gets on a nearby bus... And finds a confusing scene because the driver and one of the passengers are shouting gibberish at each other while all the other passengers are looking frightened. And that's when Lloyd realizes no one can understand anyone else and the streets of Manhattan are becoming more chaotic by the second. Well, wow, that seems an overreaction, but okay. Getting off the bus, Lloyd hears familiar music with gibberish lyrics. He witnesses several fistfights and a few car accidents and realizes there's no point taking the diamonds to a jeweler. Car accidents? What? People are like, I don't understand other people. I'm just going to forget how to drive my car, too. Maybe the road signs are gibberish. It doesn't matter. Maybe like the <laughs> octagonal red stop sign. If you can't read that it says stop anymore, who knows what that sign's for? <sighs> Humans just evolve into chaos so easily. <laughs> So Lloyd realizes there's no point taking the diamonds to a jeweler, no, so he goes sucks. to a bar to get a drink. That is an excellent response. I would also, how do, and I would just point at things like, and eh, eh, point at my mouth. And he finds the customers have taken the place over and everyone's getting drunk. 
Eh, that's probably an appropriate response as well. Well, it's like noon on a Wednesday. It's always appropriate at that time. <laughs> Lloyd goes behind the bar, grabs a random bottle, and finds a radio, intent to learn whether the chaos is only in Manhattan or much further. That's actually pretty good. He is a thinker. Like, I like his thought process. He's like, got to find out where the aliens are from in the universe. That's right. Let's check out if anyone, any other cities are also. <laughs> I like this guy. Well, let's see. Let's get uh, drunk. Let's see how long this uh, liking of yours lasts. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> uh, the radio provides no additional information. There's either dead air or pre recorded music with gibberish lyrics. <laughs> Lloyd decides to sit down at a nearby table and try to decipher the gibberish in the newspaper. Oh, again, nice. And while he's trying to translate it and he drinks the entire bottle... Also, still liking this guy? Continue. He actually succeeds. He finds a method that turns the gibberish into standard English. <gasps> no way! Just like ma- mixing and matching the so, letters. Oh, not just getting drunk. Yeah. Well, no, he gets drunk too. But maybe it's the drunk that does it. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets more and more drunk over the course of the bottle, and then he succeeds, and then tries to explain to people, but no one at the bar is interested. Oh, of course they're not. And he is so drunk, he starts blacking out. <laughs> okay, that's a little drunk. And then he keeps drinking. And then he starts kind of going in and out of consciousness, kind oh, of no. blackout drunk. So he kind of blacks out and wakes up, and he's still drunk, and he's, he's in a classroom teaching his translation method to Wait, four people <laughs> yeah yeah he's still on a quest here whoa he's a very productive drunk when i pass out i'm just lying on the couch <laughs> and then he passes out again and wakes up to find he's on the steps of the new york city library teaching the translation method to hundreds of people oh my god the most productive drunk ever <laughs> but then he blacks out again And wakes up in a cafeteria that looks like it hosted a riot. He's badly hungover, and piecing together his memories, Lloyd realizes that all the drunken lessons were fruitless, because everyone saw different letters than the ones he wrote. Oh no. Oh no. And thinking back to the hooligan, Lloyd realizes, this has happened before. How does he know it's happened before? The Tower of Babel. Oh, oh, I see, okay. The fictional story of the Tower of Babel. That's the the, the mythological story, mm-hmm. if you will. It's happening again. Or it's happening the same as a fictional story. <laughs> <laughs> but he uh, realizes something else that's also very important. The alien, even right now, is still somewhere else in the world gathering objects based on the locations that Lloyd provided. Ooh, and causing chaos. So he decides to find the hooligan no matter what it takes before the creature returns to its own dimension. So he uh, manages to wave down a cab driver and elaborately tries to translate a location and is successful. Good job. The driver, however, demands payment and is uninterested in Lloyd's spare change. So he gives him the smaller of the two diamonds. Oh, damn. The cab takes him through ruined but mostly empty streets wow. across town to Jannigan's, the shoe store he pointed the hooligan to. He's probably gone by now. While the taxi waits, Lloyd goes inside to find Jannigan the cobbler holding a shotgun in fear of looters. But recognizing Lloyd, Jannigan lowers his gun. Lloyd pulls out his diamond, and Jannigan nods his head and shows Lloyd a box full of diamonds. Oh no, no. Yeah, you called it again. He'd already been there. Yep. The hooligan has come and gone. 
So Lloyd leaves Jannigan's behind, uh, steals a map from a mostly looted convenience store, and returns to the cab driver. He uh, shows. Smart. I'm still liking this guy so right. far. Continue. He uh, shows the driver the uh, map and the location of LaGuardia Airport. The driver agrees to take him there, but demands more payment. Lloyd draws a picture of the diamond he already gave, but the driver doesn't care and wants another. Wow, geez, greedy. Lloyd agrees to pay him more if he takes him to the airport, but he has to go get some more diamonds from his apartment first. Okay, one diamond should have been good enough for like <laughs> a month's worth of traveling on that in that cab. Yeah, he said the smallest one he had was like 30 carats. Right. Yeah, that cab driver's greedy. Greedy asshole. <laughs> so the cab driver agrees to take Lloyd home, where he runs into his apartment, fills a backpack with cans of food... Selects the smallest diamond he has for the cab driver, and then takes another dozen with him, just in case. Mm -hmm. So they get to the airport after several hours of chaos. Uh, the roads are not very good for travel. Mm -hmm. And they find the airport in chaos. Of course, like he's not going to just get on a plane, they're not going to be running. So there's dogs loose in the building, and Lloyd gets mugged. Oh no! But, uh... Are the dogs? <laughs> nice. <laughs> and then he, um, he ends up giving a diamond to the muggers and they leave him alone. Huh. But he does manage to find a pilot. Lloyd draws a map of North America and then points to Mexico, which is one of the hooligans' next destinations. Mm -hmm. And the pilot's not interested. Of course he isn't. Why would he want to? Why would you want to do your job if everyone else <laughs> is, like, creating havoc? He wouldn't be like, sure, I'll keep doing my job. Oh, you mean I can't ride anymore? I have to go back to work? <laughs> uh, Lloyd shows another three pilots the uh, offer, and they all say no. And suddenly, a fight breaks out nearby, and Lloyd is inadvertently caught in the fisticuffs. Oh, no! And the riot continues, and some brief violence later, Lloyd scrambles to safety to find his bag of diamonds missing from his coat. Oh, yeah. we knew that was going to happen. Dejected, Lloyd decides to walk back to Manhattan. It's not like he was getting a plane anywhere. Oh, yeah, that it was a good plan in theory, just not in practice. Yeah. The journey takes him 12 hours. Back to... Back to yeah, from, from the, the airport. airport back into Manhattan. Wow. We're all just glad that he made it. <laughs> True, I guess. <laughs> when he's almost home, Lloyd suddenly realizes that the hooligan had hopped atop a, a bus when leaving his apartment. So although it can pop across dimensions effortlessly, apparently it can't just teleport across the Earth's surface. Which means it's probably going to leave the same way that it arrived, through his living room. Oh, okay, so that... But we don't know if... Uh... Oh, no, we do. I guess we do know that that was his first destination. Yeah, yeah. And it just appeared out of thin but air. how did the alien pick that particular... Yeah, they, that's just know, where the opening happened. That's just where the opening happened to be. Oh, okay. Lucky it wasn't in a cave. <laughs> Lucky it wasn't under the water. <laughs> so he starts running home, and suddenly, on the way home, spots the hooligan on a bicycle. Oh, dude. <laughs> really? Even at full sprint, however, Lloyd can't catch up, and he's too out of breath to shout at the hooligan. Oh no. He chases the creature up the stairs and bursts into his apartment right as the hooligan is about to slip behind the curtains. But Lloyd falls to the floor, and the rough landing and the noise catches the hooligan's attention right before it slips into another dimension. And then he goes back home. 
The creature stops to see what's the matter, and Lloyd catches his breath, then painstakingly uses the disc to explain that the world is engulfed in chaos. <laughs> Which, to be fair, the hooligan may not have noticed because it doesn't know what our dimension's like. No, it doesn't know what our... For all the hooligan knows is that's just what humans are like. It's constantly riding. Which kind of it is. But... <laughs> After a little bit of explanations, the hooligan suddenly realizes that all the chaos is his fault. <laughs> and explains that it only happened because of the mixture of the alien device and the wine. So apparently if just the device had been there, not the oh, wine, it would have been fine. Wine and alien devices. I feel like that's the lesson of the story. It's a pretty good lesson. Lloyd asks if the hooligan can fix things, and it agrees. It sits down and disassembles its device, and then reassembles it slightly differently. Lloyd starts falling asleep. No. And then quickly realizes... Big day. ...that something is different about his apartment. Everything's peaceful and quiet. It's clean. <laughs> the landlady isn't screaming at the building superintendent from the roof. From the roof? Whoa. I guess that's where the landlady lives. On the roof? Or she just goes up to the roof to get the most impact? Uh, and the fishmonger's wives aren't shouting pleasantries across the courtyard. Wives? The fishmonger has more than one wife. Good for him, I guess. Um, Fishmongers, <laughs> plural, wives, uh, plural. All right. <laughs> And nobody is playing their music too damn loud. <laughs> wow, he complains a lot. So Lloyd starts thinking just how wonderful silent films are. Oh no, did he get rid of all sound? And how annoying television advertising is. So he asks the hooligan, Can you fix the writing, but not the speech? No! He explains the concept via the disc, and sometime later, the hooligan leaves. Why would he agree to that? Vanishing into the three-inch space between Lloyd's curtain and wall. Oh my god, the hooligan's like, yeah, I don't mind changing an entire culture. Let's do this. In the hooligan's wake, there is a massive hubbub from outside that lasts for 20 minutes as the populace suddenly realizes they can read text again. But the noise quiets down over time, and Lloyd's conscience starts to twinge. Yeah, it should, dude. <laughs> Direct quote here, thinking to himself, just who are you, his conscience was saying. Yeah, we're all thinking that. Continue. To take away the gift of speech, the thing that once was all that distinguished man from the apes. Mm, okay. But, even though Lloyd's conscience is bothering him, he starts rationalizing. Well, he'd have to, or else he'd probably go insane. Because he starts thinking about how obnoxious Yankees fans are when they talk oh about baseball. And how, you know, small talk is really annoying. Ooh, you know what else gets on his nerves? Whining children. Mm, well, and fair enough. just like that, thinking about whining children, his conscience stops complaining. <laughs> All right, I'm back to liking him again. Wow. <laughs> And so, smiling to himself, Lloyd puts on a record of German opera. <laughs> wow. It's Mahler's Song of the Earth. Why the fifth movement, also known as the Drunkard's Song. <laughs> and direct quote to finish off the tale. From the hooligan's point of view, the human race was now permanently a little tipsy. 
And so what? The words the tenor was singing were gibberish to Lloyd, but then, they always had been, because Lloyd spoke no German. So why do you have a German record? But he knew what the words meant. Was get much den der Frühling an? Last mich betren sehen. And then we get the translation. What then is the spring to me? Let me be drunk! Well, I think that's a good sentiment. And that is how Babel 2 disastrously ends. <laughs> well, yeah, there's no fixing that. There's no coming back from that. Lloyd should feel at least still a little guilty. No, he doesn't because of whiny children no, and I know. Yankees fans. <laughs> I know. Those damn Yankees. Well, I gotta say, it's still not our darkest story, so... Oh, I, and it's... It was lighthearted. It, it was lighthearted. I mean, despite the terrible ending. <laughs> so, um, in the context of the story, the original Tower of Babel story is actually fact, Lloyd realizes. Like, it's not mythology. Like, this has all happened before. Mm. So if we're going to take the canon of the mythology into consideration... Mm-hmm. Then, in theory, God is actually a happy hooligan. An alien just going <laughs> on a shopping trip. Not only that, but eventually the human race will recover their speech. Oh, over time. Because mm-hmm. like in the original story, well, everyone spoke different languages, so they couldn't construct the tower anymore. But like those individual language subgroups all did manage to... Like, it wasn't every single person affected, or at least maybe it was from the start, right. but things got better. Mm-hmm. Well, thinking about it, too, like, the process there was, so they were drinking wine, and then he had that device that, uh, I don't know, essentially got you drunk without alcohol. Mm-hmm. Well, eventually, most people <laughs> uh, become sober over time, so maybe it just takes a while for wine in combination of the Tengue head device? Months or years, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So theoretically, yeah, it would just wear off. And in the meantime, though, no one can understand each other. No, Take right. that, fishmongers' wives. <laughs> they can only write angry things and put them up like signs in their windows. Yeah, this this would change the world for the worse. Oh, humans would get so much more passive-aggressive. Nice. <laughs> and the uh, fun part is we have not heard the last from Damon Knight. This has been the Everett Book Club, and you can visit us online at www.everettbookclub.com. Or email us at everettbookclub at hotmail.com. Join us on Facebook, where we have ridiculous polls at the Facebook group for Everett Book Club. And our Twitter is at Everett Book Club. If you or your organization are building an artificial intelligence, Marguerite and I are available to administer Turing tests. Please note, there is no guarantee of accuracy, efficacy, or professionalism. So, Marguerite, we are here in New Constantinople, Bolivia. And I was thinking, do you want to go for a walk as soon as the sun goes down? Won't it be kind of dark? Well, yeah, that's perfect weather for a hike. Where were you thinking of hiking? Well, I heard there's some lovely cemeteries nearby with dozens of unmolested graves. Um, are, are those shovels? Wait, wait a minute. Where... Did you get this necklace? This has been the Everett Book Club. Thanks for listening.